welcome to More is Afraid of the Dark, but not really the podcast. We are now on episode 11, and I thought today, why don't I cover two of the episodes from Are You Afraid of the Dark? So sit back and relax, and let's get summarizing. Hello listeners. Today, as I mentioned in the intro, I'm going to be covering two episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I thought it would only make sense for them to go hand in hand, considering our storyteller for each tale is Eric. So the first story we are going to cover is the tale of Jake and the Leprechaun, followed by the tale of Dark Music. So for this episode, the portion of the episode that is me giving my opinions and thoughts and feelings about this particular episode, in this case Jake and the Leprechaun and the Tale of Dark Music, will be at the end of the Tale of the Dark Music because that'll be the second episode. But don't worry, I will say for which episode I'm starting with first. So now that we have the housekeeping details out of the way, let's get started with our first episode, Jake and the Leprechaun. This episode aired on October 24th, 1992. I somewhat remember watching this episode and thinking that it would have been better if it was shown in March since it had to do with leprechauns, specifically around St. Patrick's Day. But I don't know if Are You Afraid of the Dark was being shown in March or if it was on hiatus. This episode starts with the Midnight Society already gathered around the campfire. Gary tells us that they have an unusual circumstance tonight. Frank was up, but passed it on to Eric, whose grandfather, Pop-Up, has died. Eric tells us his grandfather was from Ere, Ireland, and would tell him stories about fairies, pixies, and leprechauns. Kristen asks, what is a fairy? Eric tells her Pop-Up would say if they were fair, he would call them fairies. He then goes on to tell us that... To make a trade with a pixie or a leprechaun, all you had to do was say, Mine be yours and yours be mine. And even if the trade was bad, they would still have to make it. Eric says that his grandfather was their kind of guy. He only told stories of the evil pixies and leprechauns. Kiki asks Eric, what is a leprechaun? Eric tells her, a leprechaun is like a little old man who makes shoes with funny hats. Here, I thought they were around to um, look for gold or, you know, secure their gold and promote uh, Lucky Charms cereal for me to consume in the morning, but I guess I'm wrong. So after all of the information about pixies and leprechauns and fairies, Eric begins the story by telling the group it was one of his grandfather's favorites. He throws the midnight dust into the campfire and submits his story as the tale of Jake and the Leprechaun. The story is about Jake Joyson, a young aspiring actor. He wants nothing more than to become an actor, but he isn't that good. He finally got his big break starring in a play called Will o' the Wisp. His co-star in the play is an old man named Aaron who is from Ireland, and likes his tea. Oh boy, does he like his tea. If you haven't caught on, tea is kind of a running theme in Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes, where they just can't seem to get enough of it. The play is about a boy who wishes to be turned into a leprechaun by taking an oath. Jake asks Lucy, the stage manager, what Aaron is drinking. 
He learns it is a special herbal tea. Jake gets the recipe and goes in search of the herbs, but honestly it sounds like names of different strands of marijuana. While searching for these herbs, he meets a little person by the name of Sean O'Shaney. Sean is offended by the herbs that Jake is seeking and throws him out of his garden store. Jake tries to explain he is only trying to make a tea, to which Sean says, I know what these herbs are used for. Also, before this happens, Sean says that Jake has the glamour. This is important to note because Aaron also says Jake has the glamour. So the next day, Jake is at rehearsal. And during rehearsal, while practicing the oath, Jake's voice changes. Like it gets really deep and it's almost like he goes through puberty on the spot. This freaks Jake out and he seeks out Sean once again. Sean realizes that Jake is clueless about what is happening to him. Jake is being changed into a changeling, and his ears are already starting the transition. He looks like uh, an elf because his ears have become pointy, which I don't know how Jake missed that. I mean, all he had to do was look in a mirror. Sean asks Jake when the play is and says he wouldn't miss it for all the suds in Dublin. So if you haven't caught on by now or if you haven't seen this episode, it's very heavy on like the fake Irish accents because I do not think any of the characters who were supposed to be Irish are actually Irish because it's very stereotypical. In fact, Sean sounds like he has a Southside Dublin accent and Aaron, I don't know, it doesn't even really sound Irish to me. So the next day at the final rehearsal, Sean shows up just as Jake is taking the oath to become the changeling. The oath is, and this is Aaron talking, the fairy ring dance and sing the mortal bloom a dying thing. This is repeated by Jake, who also says, the fairy ring dance and sing the mortal bloom a dying thing. And then after the first part of the oath, Aaron takes a swig out of this canteen and says, Turn me now to spirit bright and leave behind the human plight. After that, he throws the canteen to um, Jake. And then Jake takes a swig and also repeats, Turn me now to spirit bright and leave behind the human plight. Sean sees what's going on and kind of freaks out. So he tries to stop what is going on because Jake, unbeknownst to him, is taking the final oath or the steps for the final oath, where he will turn into a changeling during the production. So Sean runs backstage and he knocks over a set piece which halts the production. Jake sees Sean, and together they make the smoke alarm go off near Aaron's um, dressing room. So Aaron will have to leave and Sean can, you know, identify who Aaron really is. Once Aaron leaves his dressing room, they sneak inside and they see a changeling, which looks like a toad, and articles that belong to Jake, like his hat. There's also a headshot of Jake on his wall, almost like a mini shrine to him. Then they hear uh, Aaron come back and they hide under the bed. Aaron takes off his fake human ears and his, uh, I guess they would be not sandals, slippers. We'll call them slippers. And his feet are real nasty looking, like they have claws instead of uh, nails. And he has like a strange hairline on his back. And he uh, sits on the bed and starts moaning. At least that's what my captions tell me. But I think he's just sleeping upright, which is kind of creepy in itself. So he's like moaning or meditating or sleeping upright and Jake and Sean are under the bed and they are finally able to escape when Aaron, I guess, is still sleeping upright. I don't know. That wasn't really explained. Well, it's a good thing Jake went and saw Sean again because it turns out that Aaron is a banshee. 
So it is now the night of the performance, and Sean meets with Jake to help him defeat Aaron, who is a banshee known as Gort. Sean tells us the three rules to defeat Gort. Number one, be fearless. Jake eats two spiders and adds some herbs, I put herbs in quotes, to the drinking bag, and Sean throws some glitter into the air and says, Rowan tree, red three, put the witches to their speed. Step two, give Aaron a taste of his own medicine. Don't drink from the pouch. And the third step, don't take your eyes off him. You must spellbind him. Lock your eyes with him and turn his spell against him. After intermission, the play continues, and we are now at the scene where Jake is taking the oath. Aaron starts the oath and takes a sip from the drinking pouch, but he is on to Jake. Jake says the oath but does not drink. Aaron then asks them who he's been talking to and transforms into the banshee. Then Sean appears and he is a leprechaun. Aaron, now as Gort, transforms Jake into a changeling in front of the audience who is eating this shit up. Meanwhile, backstage, Lucy is freaking out since she cannot find what she is seeing in the script. Then Sean reveals that he has Gort's tail. Sean makes a trade for Jake, and the Banshee has to take the deal. Gort, slash Aaron, then disappears, never to be seen from again, and Eric tells us the play was never performed again. Eric says the end. The game seems to like the story. They clap, which is a first, and Betty Ann goes over and gives him a hug, followed by Kiki, who is showing her softer side. Also, this is the first time Gary did not declare the meeting over and put the fire out. I can only assume that the meeting continued with Eric sharing memories of his pop-up. So that was the basic rundown of Jake and the Leprechaun. Have any of you seen the episode? Did you enjoy it? What were your feelings? We will talk about my feelings and my thoughts after our next summary, which is also Eric's last tale as a Midnight Society member, the tale of dark music. And we're back. So our next story is brought to us by Eric as well. I have to say that out of the two stories Eric tells us during his run, before the group unanimously decided to change locations and not tell him, this is the better of the two. The night starts with the Midnight Society sitting around the campfire, and Frank is running into the clearing. He is mad at Eric, as they were supposed to come together. Eric says he forgot, but part of me thinks he was just being a dick. Kristen tells Frank it's okay, since they waited for him. Betty Ann says, what's the big deal? Turns out, Frank lost his flashlight. Eric then taunts Frank and reveals the big secret. That is, 
Frank is afraid of the dark. So now we know who's afraid of the dark. It is Frank. Kiki and Kristen give him shit about it. Whereas Betty Ann tells Frank, it's okay. I get scared in the dark sometimes too. Frank quickly says, I'm not afraid of the dark. He just wasn't sure he could find the clearing without a flashlight. Then Frank threatens Eric and tells him he is going to pay for it. Gary tells Frank not to kill Eric yet, as he is telling the story tonight. That is code for, if his story sucks, I'll turn the other cheek. Also, the gang looks like they are fairly relaxed tonight. Betty Ann looks like she is going to roll out a sleeping bag as she is laying on the ground next to Kiki, who is on a log. Kiki tells Frank to sit down and to not be strange. I didn't realize that standing during a meeting was considered strange. Gary who has had enough of this tomfoolery, tells him to just start the story. Eric throws the non-dairy creamer into the campfire and submits his story as the tale of dark music. So Eric begins his story. We are introduced to the cars, which consist of Andy, Christina, the little sister, and Mom. Andy's parents have recently divorced and they are struggling financially, but with luck, his mom inherited a house from her late uncle Niles. Andy also has a paper route to help with money to buy his school lunch. One day while riding, Andy runs into the neighborhood bully, Coda. Coda looks like a typical metalhead out of the 80s with his luscious locks. Coda tells him that everybody was happy when his uncle died, and they didn't want Andy's family to show up. Coda then threatens Andy about getting in his face. The story then transitions tonight, and Andy starts to ask his mom about his uncle Niles. She doesn't remember the last time she saw him. She was about Christina's age. I'm guessing that's about 10, maybe 13 at the most. She is struggling with the window divider pieces and asks Andy to go down into the basement and fetch a ladder. Andy is reluctant and teased by his sister who asks them if he is afraid of the dark. Andy says he is not and goes down into the basement. Christina continues to play asteroids on the TV. Once down in the basement, Andy finds a radio and asks someone to turn on a switch upstairs so he can have power down in the basement. Andy's mom turns the switch and Andy in turn turns on the radio. Once the music begins, the door to what is probably the root cellar starts to open on its own. OMG! Andy turns off the radio and says to whoever is doing that to stop. He then turns the radio back on and the door swings open and a voice is heard from the root cellar and it says, Hello Andy, come on in. The cellar also has glowing red eyes. We are now taken back to the Midnight Society where Betty Ann says, Ooh, a boogeyman in the basement. I love it. Kiki says, Uncle Niles may be dead, but he's not forgotten. And the rest of them say, Ooh. Betty Ann turns around and says, You okay, Frank? Frank? And Kristen asks, Where did he go? David says, I didn't see him leave. Eric says, He couldn't take it. I told you, he was chicken. Gary tells Eric, Keep going, he'll come back. Now, I find it hilarious that Frank up and left and no one noticed. I mean, they're sitting around a campfire looking at one another, so they should have seen him leave unless they closed their eyes. Also, Betty Ann seems to be the only one concerned about Frank. Eric continues his story. Andy went to get his mom to check out the cellar. His mom cautiously opens the cellar, and she now has a strange accent. She tells Andy it was probably just a rat. She turns around and sees the broken radio. She assumes that was the voice Andy was hearing. She then tells Andy she needs him to be strong. The next day, 
Coda is getting yelled at by his father, who I think is a is drunk and possibly Beetlejuice just based on his attire. Maybe an ex-pro wrestler. Code is cleaning the front stoop of his house. His father says, You want an allowance? You earn it. Coda replies, Yeah, yeah. Andy rides by on his bike and throws a paper that somehow hits the bucket and spills soapy water on Coda. But I feel like he needed it since he appears to not shower or bathe regularly. Coda then chases Andy. And Andy ends up back at his house and Andy locks himself into the basement. That night, Andy asks his mom how Uncle Niles got rich and how he died. She says that she doesn't know, but that they found him in the basement, and then quickly changes the subject. The mom asks Christina to put the clothes in the dryer, but Christina says she is busy. So, mom asks Andy to do it, and he doesn't want to, but the mom says she cannot because she's covered in ash. So, Andy goes down to the basement to get the clothes and put them in the dryer and plays music yet again. Remember, this is the same basement where they found dead Uncle Niles. So, maybe it's haunted by Uncle Niles. We haven't found out yet. This time, Andy sees a giant doll. The giant doll hypnotizes Andy and says, Hi, Andy. Why don't you come to play with me? It's very reminiscent of The Shining, if you know what I'm talking about. The Grady twins where they're in front of the elevator and they're like, come play with us. It's very similar to that, but it's just a single giant human sized doll. The doll puts out its hand and Andy almost takes it before his mom awkwardly shuts the radio off via the switch upstairs. Andy was in a trance and couldn't remember anything. The next day after school, Andy finds a note from his mom. She is working until five and asks him to throw some tarps into the wash. Once again, playing music in the basement, this time it triggers a carnival barker who turns into a skeleton. OMG! Which I will admit is kind of freaky. Andy finally realizes that the music is what's triggering the basement to come alive. Andy breaks the fourth wall and stares at the camera and says, Music! It's the music! Andy is freaked out and hurries to the store to tell his mom, only to run into Coda. Coda starts to punch Andy in the face, and then he throws Andy's bike under a truck and ruins it. How's Andy supposed to do his paper route now? While sitting on the porch feeling sorry for himself, Andy gets an idea. He is gonna trap Coda in the basement to give him a taste of his own medicine. So Andy sets his plan into action. First, he brings a stereo down to the basement, and then he hooks up some speakers. Andy goes over to Coda's house and tells him, When you are done... Why don't you come over to my house? You make a good maid. Coda gets pissed and starts to chase after Andy. Andy pretends to go in the basement and locks Coda down there and runs around to the other side of the house and turns on the music. The cellar demon then eats Coda and turns him into a bike. The demon tells Andy he will get anything he wants. All he has to do is feed him human souls. Just then, Christina comes home and says, Andy, I'm home. Mom says you need to make me dinner, and it better be good. Andy just looks at the camera, and it appears that he is going to feed Christina to the demon. Eric ends his story, and Kristen asks him if Andy did feed his sister to the demon. Eric says no, but he made sure she never messed with him again. Betty Ann says, cool. Kiki says she would have fed her to the demon. The brat had it coming. I think Kiki must have a younger sibling. David says, great story, Eric. Gary declares the meeting over. 
Eric asks where Frank is, and Kiki tells him that Frank will come back and just to wait. Then Eric asks Kristen to wait with him, and she says, What's the matter, Eric? Afraid of the dark? Very much like Christina said to uh, Andy. Eric says he is not, and sits in the darkness waiting for Frank. He repeats to himself, I'm not afraid of the dark. Just then, Frank taps Eric on the shoulder and freaks Eric out. Frank says, Paybacks are sweet also breaking the fourth wall. And that concludes The Tale of Dark Music. Listeners, did you ever watch this episode? Did you enjoy it? I know that I really enjoyed it because it was dark and different, and I thought it had a really good element to it. And now it's time for my favorite portion, starting with Jake and the Leprechaun, Morris Thoughts. beginning Morris thoughts I thought I would give you the fun fact for uh, Jake and the Leprechaun. Lead actor Benjamin Pilner would come back to the series in season 7 and appear in the tale of Highway 13. He is also the brother of Noah Pilner who appeared in the season 1 episode The Tale of the Twisted Claw. And now that we have our fun fact out of the way it's time for Morris thoughts. My first thought was this was a good lighthearted story. I liked the Irish overtones throughout. My second thought, this was the first time we heard Eric um, not complain and he wasn't a complete jerk and he didn't annoy me, probably because his grandfather died so he was going for sympathy points. My third thought was I liked that the Midnight Society was showing support and concern for one of the members due to the loss of a loved one. It shows that they care about each other. My fourth thought is that I enjoyed the villain in this episode. He wasn't scary. He just, he had a purpose and we were given the reason for that and why he had a particular timeline. Plus we've never had a Banshee in the series since and I thought that was pretty cool. And my final thought for this episode, thought number five, Betty Ann was the first one to show concern for Eric, which means she was able to put aside her feelings about him and move past it. She is the bigger person. And that concludes Morris' thoughts for the portion of this episode that was Jake and the Leprechaun. Now I will be talking about my thoughts and feelings from the tale of the dark music. My first thought is... I liked how casual the gang was in this episode. You know, we got to see them as regular friends and not as just characters in the episode. As I've mentioned several times, my favorite parts of Are You Afraid of the Dark is the interaction among the Midnight Society members, and this had a lot of it. And it was really good interaction because we got to see them tease Frank, who is the tough guy, but he isn't really all that tough in this instance. And that leads me to my second thought. I liked how they kind of teased Frank. I also liked that Frank broke the fourth wall at the very end. This episode has two characters breaking the fourth wall. One a Midnight Society member and the other one Andy in the actual episode. And what I mean by breaking the fourth wall is they look directly at the camera and address the audience as if we're there and says something to like clue us in if we didn't know what was happening. And I thought that was really fun and an interactive element that I didn't think of before. And then my final thought for the tale of the dark music 
is this is a very scary episode. A lot of people think the tale of the dead man's float is the scariest episode from the first run of the series. I don't happen to think the tale of the dead man's float is the scariest. It's scary, but not necessarily scariest. This one is scary because just music triggers the demon and the different shapes the demon took were also scary, like a giant doll that would walk and be like, play with me, that's scary. So those three were my thoughts and feelings from watching The Tale of the Dark Music. What were your thoughts and feelings about both episodes? Do you agree or do you disagree? Let me know by leaving me a comment down wherever you listen to the podcast. And before I forget, our fun fact for The Tale of the Dark Music is the girl who played Christina, Jenny Levesque, also appeared in another season one episode as the Lonely Ghost in a Tale of a Lonely Ghost. So listeners, we are only two episodes away from finishing season one of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And, you know, that makes me happy because I think I will hit my goal of finishing season one before I move at the end of the month. This means that once I finish uh, out the season, I will take a brief hiatus and come back sometime in January. Our next season one episode to talk about on the podcast is a Kristen story, and it's actually a good one. It's the tale of the prom queen. So until next time, listeners, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this podcast, More is Afraid of the Dark But Not Really, over. Remember to socially distance, wash your hands, and wear a face mask. You can find me online on Twitter and the blog on WordPress. See ya! See ya!